Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and this is a really, really awesome episode. Today, I am chatting with Andrea Sager. Um, Andrea Sager is a lawyer who has been on the show before. But in this episode, we specifically focus on how to protect yourself as a freelancer in fashion. So many great things we go through, contracts, non-disclosure agreements, what you should and shouldn't sign, how to protect yourself uh, to make sure that you actually get paid, what rights you have as a freelancer, and what you can do if you feel like these rights are getting taken advantage of. Um, So many great insights. Now, I will give you a quick disclaimer up front. Andrea and I talk about this at the very end of the episode, but some of the stuff that we go over and that she advises can start to feel really overwhelming, whether you're just kickstarting your freelance career or whether you have already been freelancing, you might start to have a panic of like, oh God, I haven't been doing any of this stuff. Um, Again, we address this at the end of the episode, but don't freak out. There are some sort of common sense things you can do to get some low-level protection without incurring legal fees, which I know can be very expensive. Um, So get through the episode. Don't have a panic about setting all this stuff up just to get started. Don't let it prevent you from getting started as a freelancer. And don't freak out if you haven't done any of this stuff because I think most freelancers haven't as we discussed in the episode Um, and I just wanted to give you that disclaimer up front as you start to listen to it your heart might start pounding a little bit but all sorts of great advice to help you do the best job you can for your clients and take care of yourself which is so so important as a fashion freelancer. Now, before we get to the interview, quick reminder that SFD is way more than a podcast. Um, The podcast actually came later uh, in the successful fashion designer business, but I have tons of stuff out there on tutorials for Illustrator, tutorials for tech packs, free ebooks on how to put your fashion portfolio together, all sorts of resources to get ahead in your fashion career or your fashion startup and launching your own brand. And I, for a long time, never mentioned this on the podcast, and I would hear a lot of people saying, like, oh, I love your podcast, and they had no idea I did all this other stuff. So I want to make sure that you get access to all of that content. It is mostly, mostly free. 98% of my stuff I give away absolutely free, and I put together the best of the best just for you as podcast listeners. So hit pause on this episode and go to soheidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email, and I will send you instant access to all of my best free stuff. You can always access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And let's now jump into the interview with Andrea. Well, welcome again, Andrea, to the Successful Fashion Designer podcast. Um, You and I chatted a couple months ago about how brands can protect their designs. And as a lawyer, I am super excited to have you back on the show to talk about how freelancers can protect themselves in the fashion industry. Um, So let's start by getting just a quick introduction about who you are and, and what you actually do in this space. Yeah, so I am a small business attorney. I work with nothing but entrepreneurs all day long. I absolutely love it. I really help them protect their business because I used to be at a big law firm and I constantly had entrepreneurs reach out to me, but I honestly could not help them because the rates were outrageous. So I left that firm, built my own firm, and I have found very creative ways in order to serve entrepreneurs without costing them an arm and a leg because I absolutely hate hourly billing. And (laughs) I know that entrepreneurs, honestly, just they can't be unpredictable. They need to really have predictable, predictable rates. So that's what I provide. 
Awesome. I love this. And you, the, the value that you provide, I mean, you do, I think you think about hiring a lawyer to figure out how should I set up my business? What do I do if someone doesn't pay? Like all these things. And then instantly you think, ah, it's going to cost me like $300 an hour. And that is unsustainable for many, many, many people. So I love the way you have yourself structured. Um, so let's dive into freelancing and fashion. Um, you know, I guess we'll start with the question I get a lot, and and I'm I'm sure you get questions a lot too. So I I welcome you to kind of interject here. But one of the first things I hear a lot of um, freelancers ask is, how should I set myself up? Should I be a sole proprietor? Should I be an LLC? Can I just operate under my own name and social security number? Um, can you start out by giving us some guidance on what you suggest people to do for kickstarting their freelance career in fashion? Absolutely. So this, yeah, this is definitely number one on the FAQ. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, a lot of people get different answers. I mean, if you go to any Facebook group and then they're like, Hey, should I be an LLC or, you know, well, I have a firm answer. And as a general guideline, I always suggest filing as an LLC to begin with, because the protection that it provides is incredible compared to just being a sole proprietor, especially being in the fashion industry. You know, you're, you're, you're probably designing and you don't, you probably don't intend on infringing on somebody's copyright, but if something happened, you you never know what's going to happen. And having that LLC really protects you on the what if, and with the LLC, if you were to be sued for copyright infringement, trademark infringement, anything within your business, they cannot reach your personal assets. Mm. So it's the best way to keep things separate. And it be, and it's just like, well, I'm never going to infringe on this. I'm never going to do like, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you honestly don't know. I've seen so many things and people are after the fact, they're just like, Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. So you don't, you want to avoid the what if and the LLC. Yes. There's a filing fee up front. There's, you know, some fees up front, but the protection that it provides in that what if situation, it, it outweighs any, anything else that could possibly happen. So, and the, and the same thing goes, if you are, you say you're in a car accident and they sue you personally, if you're an LLC, they can't reach your business assets. So maybe, you know, you're killing, yeah, if you're killing it in your business and maybe you, you know, you don't have as much money personally, but your business has a crap ton of money, they can't reach your business assets if you have that LLC. Oh, I didn't even think about the the bi-directionality of that protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So e- people always ask, and you know, most of the time people are like, oh, just wait till you're making this much money. No, like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. So say that you have, you know, you create this beautiful design, you sell it to this person or you license it and something happens and you're a millionaire overnight. If something happened the night before, and you file that LLC the next day, they're coming after your personal assets because you weren't an LLC when the damage happened. Oh, it's not retroactive. Correct. Okay. So, okay, so get set up as an LLC, eat the fees. It's not, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the process and the fees, and I know it does vary from state to state. Um, and just to clarify, this is um, for U.S.-based advice specifically, Correct. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So U.S.-based <laughs> advice. Um, I honestly, I don't even ask me about any other country because okay, I totally do not fair. want to steer you wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. Um, okay. So set yourself up as an LLC. And I do know that the process and the fees vary from state to state, but just do some Googling and you can find it. Um, now, yeah. And it's, go ahead. sorry, it, real quick. It's, it's honestly something very easy that can be done yourself. Okay. If, yeah, especially if you're a sole owner. So if you're a freelancer, most likely it's just you that's the owner, and it's very easy to do yourself. Um, I we I mean we definitely set these up for clients nationwide, but I always tell people if you're cash strapped, do it yourself. There most like every single state has step by step how to do it yourself. Okay, so this is not something I need to really get any help with. I can follow some instructions and avoid any fees from someone like you or or any expertise. Correct. Okay. I love that. Um, 
So can you talk a little bit about what you mentioned there when you said, like, let's say you, you're you a freelancer and you're selling your designs and you create a design and then, you know, it goes great, but then someone tries to sue you for copyright. So when and where is the agreement made or what does it even look like if I'm a freelancer um, for a company and I'm designing some stuff and they pay me to design these three dresses or whatever, um, who actually owns that design and who is liable for that? Or does that need to be in writing? Like, what does that actually look like? So that needs to be laid out in the contract before any work is done. Ah. So yeah, the contract will dictate absolutely everything. And this, and this is where it gets very, very important to actually have a written agreement because a lot of times you're just like, Oh, you know, we're either, you know, we're friends or it's just such a, you know, good working relationship. We don't want to put anything in writing, but, and it's not to screw anybody over. It's just to lay out expectations because like I said, you don't know what's going to happen. And if you have those expectations laid out on paper, it avoids arguments later on down the road because you can just point to the contract. Mm-hmm. And and all like every question that you had about, you know, what do we do about this? Should it be in writing? All of it should be in writing. Who owns the copyright? What's going to happen if, you know, it turns out to be infringement? If some, you know, who's going to be indemnifying who? Which oh. indem- indemnification is where... Um, say, you know, I'm a business and I hire you as a freelance designer. I, you know, I, as the business owner may agree to indemnify you, which means hold you harmless if there were to be any infringement action taken. So I, you as the business owner, you absorb everything, the the liability for all the designs I create as an independent freelancer. Yes. Okay. So then maybe the place we should go next instead of who owns the designs is the, actually the contract. Would that be the, the next thing to talk about? Yeah. So there's, um, yeah, we can go about it however you would like. I mean, I think there's so many things that should be covered in the contract. So okay. we could talk about this for hours. Well, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You drive <laughs> it then because some of this stuff, like, I mean, I, I freelanced for over a decade, and to be honest, my contracts were pretty loose. Um, you probably would not have <laughs> signed off on them. <laughs> I did find everything worked out well. Um, but uh, after I've set up my LLC and, like, I'm now starting to work with my first client, or maybe there's even a step in between, like, what do I want to think about from a legal perspective? Is the contract the next logical thing to talk about? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So typically what happens is what I've seen is the brand will actually send the designer their form contract. And, you know, depending if they're, you know, say if they're Nike, Nike's not going to budge on the terms, Mm -hmm. but if it's a much smaller company who, um, you know, just much smaller companies, they have leeway and they will negotiate terms with you. So, I mean, there's a million terms that you should be thinking about number one is that liability who is going to be liable if anything happens with these designs so mm-hmm. what if it's in what is it infringement um maybe you're designing an actual product what if there is a malfunction with the product who's liable for that mm. and it may just and they may put that on you and that just means you need some good insurance okay so in all my career i only had one brand send me a contract Wow. Yeah. And I tended to work with um, smaller brands, but they were still fairly established, like 50 to 200 people. Like we're not talking like three people. Um, So that sounds surprising to you. So, (laughs) um, okay, so if I get a contract, probably they're not going to budge and whatever it says, it says, and let's talk through that. But let's start from the opposite direction because my guess is um, from what I know from freelancers in fashion and a lot of the students that I work with um, through some of my freelance programs is that they're working with smaller independent startups and it might be one person, it might be a team of five people, but um, they're not getting these contracts thrown at them. So what do I do if I'm kind of starting from scratch? So if you're starting, if you're the freelancer and you're starting from scratch and they don't send you a contract, you need to ask about it. And if they say they don't have contracts, you tell them that you want a contract. And if you have to, you come up with a contract. Um, whether you have to find a template online and throw in your own terms or even like for me, when I work with clients, um, so 
my me- I have my membership and then we have an add-on for the contract vault and you can download any contracts in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- I mean, we have that, but even if you find just any small business attorney, you can get a contract like that drawn up for not very much. I mean, it's going to cost money, sure. but trust me, like I can't harp on how important contracts are because think about it. If you don't have a contract and there's an issue, so say that somebody wants to sue the brand for inf- copyright infringement and the brand says, okay, well, you know, Heidi, you designed this. So we're putting the liability on you. And you, yeah. and then you say, no, you, you know, we agreed to these terms verbally. Well then who's going to believe who? Yeah. So then, you know, worst case scenario, you end up in a lawsuit. So you have to spend even more money depending on who, to decide who has liability and who was responsible uh, for that infringement? Okay. And the contract, you know, even if it costs you, you know, four hundred to a thousand dollars to two thousand dollars, I mean, it, it can vary very widely. But even that cost of the contract will outweigh any possible lawsuit that would happen down the road. Yeah, and a contract, you know, you it's kind of you do it once and then you use it over and over. So exactly. So, okay, so the contract will define who is liable for any potential copyright infringement or maybe malfunction in the product if, like, somebody hurts themselves on the zipper or I don't know, you know, right. like, we're talking about clothes. But, like, th- things happen, right? People sue Starbucks for hot beverages spilling in their lap. Um, so things do happen. Um, so that will—the contract includes who is liable— and then what else do, what else is in a contract like this? So payment terms. Okay, let's talk you, about that. Yeah, this is very important too because as the freelancer, you can dictate who's going to own this design. Yeah. Do you want to own it and just license it to them? Or do you want to assign all the rights to the brand? Because if you assign all the rights to the brand, you bet your butt you better be raising your prices. <laughs> Because once you assign the actual design, you can no longer use that for your own purpose, even though you created that design. Uh And let's say you do assign all rights to the brand. Say you create something, you know, very, very similar. That could be copyright infringement. Oh, you're almost like, okay, I designed this and then I gave it to them and now they own it as part of the contract I have with them. And then I happen to do something similar for someone else. It's almost like you're infringing on your own copyright. Yep. And you can't do anything. You can't use it because you assigned Uh all of the rights over. So that's one big nugget that a lot of freelancers aren't aware of. They don't, the ownership rights are very, very important and they will drive the price of, you know, the, the freelancers rates up and down. Right, because if I maintain ownership of the design as the freelancer, the rate should be lower. But if I give up all the rights and the brand owns it to do whatever they want with it, then it should go higher. Exactly. Okay. Um, before we go any further into this, like it starts like I just in my and this is maybe just my character, but like I in my chest feel like, oh, it starts to feel so um legal jargony and like am I going to scare the brand off or is the brand going to scare me off but does it just come down to like this is business and this is how it's done or like if I'm a freelancer and I'm approaching this small um, independent brand this startup to do some work for them and then I like shove this thing into their and I maybe I'm being too aggressive with my verbiage but like I nicely send them this contract (laughs) um it just starts to feel uh, like a turnoff or overly, right? But I guess uh, is it so not? I, or? I know, yeah, I know, you know what, what I'm saying? saying. Okay, exactly. So, because and it's almost like you don't want to sound. Whenever you're on social media, you don't want to sound too salesy. You don't want to sound too aggressive. Yeah, but at the same time, it'll make the brand respect you because you've got your stuff together. You have your contract and they're Mm. like, Oh, okay. Because I've, I've seen this over and over. People will come to me and they're like, Hey, can you look over this contract? This other brand, um, send it to me. And I look over it and I, I make changes to the contract and they'll send it back to the brand. And they're like, Oh wow. We didn't even know this was in the contract. And it's some outrageous term. So even, even if you have a contract and you just sign it without looking at it. I mean, that's a big no, no for me, but (laughs) number one, 
if they don't have a contract and you send one over, they're going to know you're serious and you have your stuff together. They're going to respect you more. Okay. Two, if they send you a contract and you actually look at it, have an attorney look at it, maybe try to make some changes, they're going to respect you because you know how to do business. Okay. Yeah, I never looked at it from that angle, but I do see what you're saying. It look you look very professional. Exactly. And they the brand will know that you know how to do business because if you just let not let them walk all over you, but if you don't make any changes, then they're you don't know if they're going to keep trying to push further and further mm. every time they work with you. Okay. Okay. I like this. I like the and it's just a matter of kind of flipping your mindset um from oh, they're going to look at me as being too aggressive to, no, they look at me as like a serious professional. Yeah, and and you don't have to, if they don't send you a contract, honestly, how I would word it, so say, you know, you have this working relationship and you agree to enter into business together, I would simply ask, hey, do you, are you guys going to send over a contract or should I send you mine? Uh, it, right. It's as simple as that. Yeah, not even leaving it as a question. Just yeah, that's say, a nice sort yeah. of soft way to put it, too. So um, what about, like, if I'm not doing design per se? So what if I am doing a tech pack? And we might get a little too jargony here, but a tech pack is essentially a set of blueprints for a garment to get made. So um, as a technical designer, um a lot of people do tech packs as freelancers, and so the brand comes to me. They have the design is already created, um, the fabrics picked out, everything is creatively is ready to go. I am just the one that puts together a set of instructions for the factory that says this is how it gets made. This steam seam goes here, the stitch goes here, the pockets four inches by three inches, and it, you know, should sit eight inches down from the shoulder seam, like all that sort of stuff. Um, do I need to think so much about some of the ownership rights and that sort of thing when it comes to stuff outside of design? I I would. Um, so it, since it's not necessarily a design, well, because the Copyright Office does specifically state that garments themselves aren't really protected. Right. Because it's, you know, useful item. So it, it just, honestly, it would just depend on whether it is eligible for some type of protection, Mm -hmm. because even though it's not eligible for, um, copyright protection, it may be eligible for, you know, some kind of trade dress as well. Um, the one that comes to mind is the Coca-Cola bottle. So that, uh, is protected by trade dress and you know that somebody, you know, down the line had to say, okay, these, you know, these are, this bottle is going to be formed and this indenture is going to be here mm-hmm. and here. Um, and that's protected by a trade dress. Okay. So it might just depend on like your unique situation and what sort of services you're providing. Right. And I, in that situation, if, if it's not a design and you know, you don't think it's eligible for copyright protection, I would just, you know, consult with an attorney and ask, okay, this is what I'm creating what type of protection is this eligible for? And it, and it may be nothing. They could just be contracting you for a service and there's really not ownership protection there, Right. but you still want to outline, you know, some of the terms like still, what if, you know, a malfunction happens and definitely want to still lay out terms, but ownership wise, you, you may just have to consult with an attorney to see if there's anything that can be owned. Okay. And then the same kind of goes for like, if you're, Doing consulting and maybe I'm just like working with a brand to help guide them through the process and I'm connecting with them with some factories and stuff like that. But on that level, I might want to protect myself in terms of like I connect them with this factory. Then what if something happens between them and the factory and they come back and they try to point the blame at me because I'm the one that made the introduction, something like that. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely have um, a non-disclosure agreement or a confidentiality clause as far as making sure they don't um, – or not giving your network out to everybody else in the world. Um, and then f- also have the liability clause. Okay. So like anyone I introduce you to, I mean, this is very layman's terms, but like anyone I introduce you to, like this is just an introduction. Anything that happens between you and them is between you and them. It has nothing to do with me. Exactly. Okay. 
Um, and I want to talk about NDAs and confidentiality um, as well, but um, I have that on my list, so we'll get to that in a second. But something you mentioned earlier that would obviously apply to every freelancer out there and <laughs> comes up a lot is payment terms and making sure you get payments. So let's talk about that one, which sounds like is a real fun one for you. <laughs> yeah. So if possible, ask for payment up front. I know that's not in always full. Possible. Yeah. So in, I mean, I ask for as much as you can get up front. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. Okay. Some, some companies already have their processes outlined, but if you are a highly sought out freelancer and they're, you know, maybe they've been on your butt for months and you're finally like, okay, okay, let's do something together. Then you have leverage. Exactly. You have leverage. Um, always at, I mean, always ask for payment up front. If they say, no, we'll do this, uh, you know, we'll pay you half up front, half, you know, after, you know, the project is completed or maybe it's, you know, several separate payment dates. But in that, make sure that you have a late fee. If they don't pay by this date, they're paying, you know, a percentage or a flat, you know, just, you know, a hundred, what, you know, whatever, some kind of late fee and implement it. If they're a day late, implement that late fee because they'll make sure next time they don't pay you late because they don't want to pay extra money. Yeah. And with that also comes, um, I totally just went blank on the name of, I guess it just like resolving disputes. So there's typically a clause in each contract that says, you know, how you'll solve disputes. They could be, it could be about mediation, arbitration, but in that I would put, if there has to be a dispute over payment, the brand has to pay your attorney fees. Ah, okay. So you hold them liable because they're the one that is creating the situation in the first place by not paying you. Yes. Okay. So, um, I mean, I've been pretty lucky in my career with payments, there's, I've never not actually gotten a payment, but I definitely have had to pick up the phone and fight and have some really intense conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, and honestly, if it doesn't feel right, I mean, trust your gut. Like I, yeah. I, in my business, attorneys, payment plans are a big no, no for me. That's not the case because I work with such small businesses that especially with trademarks, they can be such a bigger investment, but it's a necessary investment. So I make payment plans available for those. And I've talked to so many attorneys and they just say, you know, it's a big no, no, but I have only had one dispute, one, one issue. And it was somebody I should not have hired in the first place, like Mm. hiring her. I just knew, I just knew in my gut, but I went along with it anyway. Luckily she fired me quick, you know, pretty soon after. So I I was just done with it. So, uh, I mean, trust your gut. If you, in your gut, you know, like this is not going to be a good relationship, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, you say ask for payment up front and I'm immediately like, holy cow. If Because I am also on the other side of the table. I've hired freelancers to do work for me, um, both for fashion, for, for outsourcing various tasks, but also for other things. And if someone asked for full payment up front, um, I'd be like, hells no, because how do I know you're going to actually deliver? Right. Well, at, at the same time, I mean, both parties should be protecting themselves. So I, I mean, so that resolving disputes provision should say, it, you know, if, you know, the freelancer has to sue for non-payment, then the brand has to pay attorney fees. At the same time, if the brand has to sue the freelancer for non-performance, then the freelancer has to pay the attorney fees. Ah, uh, okay. Again, so the bi-directionality of the clause means you kind of both are setting yourself up for a situation where you need to be liable to your right. commitment. Yeah, and it, I mean, and I'm not saying that everybody's going to pay you up front. So like I said, if there's no leverage in both parties, like if there's pretty much a customary way to do payment between the parties, then I wouldn't all of a sudden push and say, hey, you need to pay me up front this time. <laughs> I so, listened to this podcast episode yeah. <laughs> and this awesome lawyer told me I should get everything up front in cash. <laughs> you, so, sorry, you I didn't mean, say cash, but. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, go with the vibe. 
okay. at the same time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, my my route has always been, yeah, if there's a gut feeling of, you know, this person is, their finances are a little shaky, um, I definitely get 50% up front, and then I try to do what I can to hold the files until I have, you know, I'm ready to deliver, but I'm, like, trying to hold something before I actually release it to get the last payment. Um or if it's a smaller project, and I say smaller, like a few hundred bucks, or, you know, it, that's relative, you know, for me, even like a thousand, I might just be like, okay, I'll just do it, and you can pay me at the end, and I trust you, and it's fine, and I get those payments. Or anything kind of over that is like either 50% down or three payments, if, you know, depending on the duration of the project. Like it might make more sense to do like three even payments over three months or something like that. Um, and you know, legally speaking, it's probably not the best protection, but, um, I mean, I don't know, that worked for me and luckily I never got screwed because I do know some freelancers that have gotten screwed and then they have no leverage. Right. And I think a lot of states are, I mean, obviously a lot of states are recognizing it. I mean, California, New York, they, I mean, they have laws in place and, you don't want to be, I mean, businesses are getting, what are the laws specifically you're referencing? Um, I don't, okay. So now you ask me specifics. <laughs> or just I like a generally. Know, yeah. I don't know specifically, but I know that they're putting laws in place in order to protect those freelancers. Ah, okay. So don't quote me, but I think New York, it's like you can, they have now some kind of like reporting form or reporting process in order for the freelancer to actually um, report the the company. Okay, gotcha. And I don't know if the attorney general gets involved, but it's just like a big no-no. Like they're really doing something to protect the freelancers. Okay, that's very cool. Um, I heard a story from a friend of a friend, so it's a little bit disconnected, but I'm curious if you know anything about this or if this would hold up, that um, a freelancer had put into her contract, and I think it was just a really simple contract she had like written herself, um, but basically it was to the gist of that the ownership of the designs did not get passed to the company until payment was received in full. So like, even though they had all the files and everything that they didn't actually own them until they paid her and they were withholding the payment for whatever reason. And it was, it was substantial. I think it was like five or $8,000. Um, and once she was able to go back and point to that, and again, it wasn't even anything legal, but it was just like, you don't actually own these designs yet. Like these are still my designs. You can't technically use them, um, that they then paid her. And, and I know that's a very simple layman example, but would something along those lines have some protection? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So that's a great provision. Um, I've actually never used that, but I'm going to keep that in my back pocket now. <laughs> um, no, that that's great because a lot of people think, oh, well, I, you know, maybe it's not normal for this to be in a contract or that to be in a contract or they sent me this contract and they're afraid to change terms. Uh-huh. But like I said, if they're a smaller company, then they probably are available for, you know, some negotiation there. So I would try, I mean, I always say try to protect yourself as much as possible. And that means keep, you know, just like you said, retaining ownership until they actually pay you. We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. Um, And and so on this note, um, with the payment stuff, let's say I didn't have a contract in place because I most freelancers I know don't have this fancy legal contract, even though arguably they should. I mean, I myself did not. Um, if I don't get paid, what's what are my what's my recourse? I can just keep fighting and trying to ask them for payment. Maybe my state offers some type of thing, so I should Google that. But is there anything else I can do? 
so you number one, you can definitely send a cease or uh, not a cease letter, a demand letter from with an attorney. Okay. Um, obviously, if it's you know a five hundred dollar project, it might not be worth it. Because at this um, point, I'm absorbing the legal fees because I didn't have a contract that said the brand would absorb them. Right. Okay. Right. So it, definitely, if it's you know a couple thousand dollars, it may be worth it. Um, so like for me, a demand letter is three fifty. So just to put in perspective, I mean right. every attorney's rates are going to be different. But do you you know is it worth three fifty to get paid five hundred dollars or a thousand or two thousand, whatever it is? Yeah. Um, and then of course look into your um, states, see if they have any protections there, and then you always have small claims court. And if you don't have an actual written contract, but you have emails that qualifies as a contract. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So even if you don't have a written contract that says, you know, we're entering into this contract, but you have emails that basically spell out the fact that you guys are going to be working together. They're supposed to pay you this. You're supposed to provide, you know, this design or whatever services. Yeah. That's a contract. Okay. I love that. And if you don't, and obviously if you don't have the written contract, the state always has default provisions with the written contract. You want to carve out of those default provisions in order to get you the most protection. So if you don't have the written contract, but you can rely on emails, if it's to go to small claims court or whatever, there are still default provisions. So you would have to look at, so say, um, there's no written contract and it ends up there, you know, it's copyright infringement. What does the state law say in regards to who is liable for that infringement? Oh, it might default to one party versus another. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I mean, I don't know anyone who's ever gotten that deep into the weeds, to be honest. I mean, right. It happens, and, and obviously, it, but like... It, it happens. I mean, if you're a small freelancer, that pro- it probably wouldn't happen to right. you. But if you're somebody who's working with a Nike, right. um, there's a big brand that I keep thinking of in my head. Right, right, right. But, you know, a bigger brand, then it may come down to something like that. Okay. Okay. But I like the fact that, like, even if there was just some written communication that says, like, okay, I'm going to design these five styles, I'm going to do these tech packs, and it's going to cost you $2,000 or, like, whatever the number is, and they write back and they say, yep, sounds good, get started. Like, that itself is something that can help me protect myself even if I didn't have this big contract. Yes. Okay. I love that. Um, so let's – Go into NDAs because <laughs> I have mixed emotions on this. I don't know if we'll. I don't know if I'll be sharing my opinion. To be blunt, um, but uh, or to be transparent, um, but talk to us about NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Um, a lot of brands, both startup and established, ask designers to sign these. Tell us a little bit about this and what we may or may not want to be looking for and what we may or may not want to sign. So a non-disclosure agreement is when, you know, there can be a one-sided non-disclosure or a mutual non-disclosure where, um, so if it's a one-sided, then one party is disclosing, you know, confidential information to the other side and they don't want you to spread that around. A mutual is both parties have confidential information that they're sharing with each other that they don't want to get around. So with the non-disclosure agreement, you are essentially bound by a contract to not spread it, to not, you know, spread that information to those that are not covered under the contract. However, there are so many carve outs to this. And (laughs) yeah, if you want my honest, blunt opinion, yes, I do. And you can cut this out if you don't want people to hear it. They are mainly there for a threat. What kind of threat? I mean, just the threat of you sign this agreement, we're going to sue you if you, you know, if you tell somebody or about our amazing design or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Nine times out of ten, they're not going to sue over it because they're very, very hard to sue over, and it can get very, very, very expensive. The only I only actually saw one at my old law firm, but this I mean this was because the guy built a million dollar business in one year from 
you know, disclosing information from his former employer. Ah. So, I mean, that was a million dollar case and that was the only thing I've ever seen. Okay. So most of the time it is just there as a threat and a reminder, like, Hey, you signed this contract. You cannot disclose this information. That being said, what qualifies as confidential information? Because a lot of, com- I'm going to tell you uh, probably, probably more than 50% of companies think they have confidential information that is not confidential. Yes. This is what I have always found. <laughs> like a startup comes to you and they're like making like, I mean, this is an extreme case, but I literally had almost this exact thing. They were, like, screen printing T-shirts, and they're like, we want you to sign an NDA. I go, you have nothing to protect. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, so I um, I had a client who um, I don't know if it was actual confidential, but they said their T-shirts were so soft because of the way they screen printed them. Okay. Um, Oh, you've run into the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, so I maybe it's the same person, though. But no, I, I can totally understand that. I personally do not know if it was actually confidential. Okay. Uh, but I know that they did want to sue their employee that left. Um, again, I, I, I don't know what actually happened there, but, um, yeah, it, so many times brands think that their information is confidential when it's not. Right. A lot of times it's confidential when the company is building up their company. So they haven't quite launched yet. They probably have a lot of, possibly they have a lot of confidential information in the works, especially when they're, if it's a startup getting funding, they always, and, and it's, this is pretty standard invest. If they're pitching to investors the investors pretty much know that they have to sign an NDA. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, if there's, 10 investors in the room, how are they going to know which investors spilled the beans? How are they going to know who to sue? Like it's, Mm. like I said, it's more there for a threat. So as a freelancer, I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell everyone listening, honestly, I've never signed an NDA in my career. Um, in start in, uh, freelancing, I just, I said, I'm, we're not, I'm not going to do it. Um, and I got away with it every time because I was, I don't know. I didn't ever feel good signing it because, I didn't feel there was anything to be protected. And I, I didn't work with brands like Nike or anything, right? Um, so as a freelancer, like, what would be your best advice to how do I react to this NDA? Um, well, if you're a freelancer and you don't want to sign it, I would, if they have not specified what the actual confidential information is, then maybe ask about it because if they, if at that point they can't really point to anything that's not confidential, Mm -hmm. then there's no reason to sign it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they may have you, you know, they may say, well, we have future projects in the works, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if it doesn't feel like I said, trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, then tell them that you're not comfortable signing it. If they really value you and want it, then they'll explain to you what is going to be confidential. I mean, they may, obviously, they may not spill the beans completely unless mm-hmm. until you sign the agreement, but they can give you some idea of what the confidential information is. So if they say, oh, we have um, you know these T-shirt designs coming out and we don't want you to tell people about that, it's like by the time those T-shirt designs come out, like they're like there's not – Typically, t-shirt designs are very, very quick turnaround. So yeah. it, that's like, you know. <laughs> Maybe if they're doing like some technologically advanced fabric development that like hasn't been yeah. done before. That may be, yeah. Something like that, like that there's actually some proprietary information that it's like, oh, okay, you know, we are working on this new thing and we can't tell you exactly what it is, but it's something that like hasn't really been done before. It relates to, you know, fabric development and they're creating the next, you know, Luan like Lulu did. So, yeah. So, and it, cause, so if they tell you, yeah, everything we do is confidential. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Don't sign that agreement. If they try to tell you everything they do is confidential. It's everything. Yeah. Right. That's where I get a little bit nervous is I feel like some of these, um, these brands get a little protective with their stuff. I'm like, but actually there's nothing you can protect here. Like I hate to yeah. like poo poo it, but 
sometimes it feels like overkill. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think we're on the same page. Yes, we are. <laughs> now, what about the reverse, though? Because you mentioned um, the confidentiality can be two-way street. So, like, if I am sharing, let's say I'm a freelancer and I've got a lot of great connections with fact- factories and suppliers, and I may be um, doing some consulting or some sourcing for the brand to help connect them with these other people, um. I mean, again, I did a lot of this in in my freelance career, and I would just connect them. I would never think of protecting myself and saying, I'm going to connect you with this factory, but you then have to hold this factory information confidential, and you can't, you know, if you leave, you can't take it to the next brand that you work at. Like, I never did anything like that. That almost feels like a little, again, it feels like very aggressive behavior, but, but you mentioned that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So again, a lot of times it's used as a threat. Um, what I, the particular instance I'm thinking of, I have a client right now who's doing a round of investing, um, for a new company and the, you know, the client of mine, obviously they have proprietary information about their, um, it's a drink and their proprietary information about the formula that's used for the drink. Now, the investors may have something, um, sorry, not the investors, the actual, um, maybe the lab that they're working with, they have proprietary information about their actual um, formula. So it has to be two parties that actually have confidential information. If it's just discovering an actual, you know, manufacturer, that may not necessarily be private you know, confidential information. Right. Um, but if that manufacturer has, you know, if they have that new, that new fabric that nobody else knows about is, um, you know, hasn't even hit the market yet. That may be something that is protected. Okay. But if you're just introducing them to a factory or supplier in general, that's not, there's nothing to protect. Probably not. I mean, somebody may have you sign an NDA for it, or they may ask you to sign an NDA, but I just don't see what is protected there. Okay. So most of the time, you can probably go in with your consulting fee and help them source the right suppliers and factories and probably not have to worry. I mean, that's a big blanket statement, but like not have to worry about, oh, I have to make them sign an NDA so they don't tell anybody else about this factory. Right. Okay. Unless they're doing something like so exclusive and special. Right. Okay. Um, so the next thing that comes up on my side, and if I'm missing anything that, that, you know, you hear questions about a lot, please do interrupt. But, um, Designers ask a lot about what are they allowed to use in their portfolio. So they're like, well, I did this design for this brand. And the blanket rule of thumb is you have to wait till the product's available publicly in the market. So that's for sale, like either online or in stores. Um, So it's not, you know, still currently in development. But... I mean, I say that's the blanket rule of thumb. I've seen and heard of people that share stuff before it gets to that (laughs) stage. So... General announcement, folks that are listening, probably don't do that. Um, but once the design is available in the market, what are my options as a freelancer to include that in my portfolio and and say, yes, I did the work for this, and here's the designs, and this is the name of the brand. Um, can I just free and clear do that? So honestly, it'll depend on what the contract says. (laughs) Okay. Um, That is definitely something that you want and need to include in the contract. Yeah. I work with a lot of retailers or um, a a lot of clients work with photographers. And a a lot of people still can't wrap their head around the fact that the photographer owns the photo. Mm -hmm. They are the artist here. So they own the copyright. So a lot of brands will come to me and like, oh, so-and-so stole my photo. I want to sue them for copyright infringement. I'm like, oh, okay, did you take this photo? And like, oh, no, my my photographer did. And a lot of times those are just very informal. Of course, they don't have a contract despite my best efforts. And we have to look at, okay, so 
if the photographer took the photo, they are not your employee. They are an independent contractor, so they own the copyright and they can do whatever they want with that photo. You only have a license to use the photos. So it's same kind of goes for the freelancer. The, if it's not spelled out in the contract, the freelancer owns that design and they can do what they want with that design. So if it's not spelled out in the contract, absolutely they can include it in their portfolio. Again, best practices, definitely wait until it's <laughs> on the market. And and there definitely is a difference between, you know, what's the law and what are best practices. Because if you you're working with a brand and you put it in your portfolio and spread it all around the internet before it's on the market, no other brand's going to want to work with you. Right. So it's also protecting yourself. Right. Uh, and with the best practices. So you own the design. And, and we're speaking here to um, if it's not in the contract. If it doesn't specifically state in the contract what you can do. Yeah, what's the and, default? Yeah, so you as the default, you own the you own the design as the as freelancer. freelancer. Okay. So that means you can do with it as you wish. Ah, so if there was no contract and they just said, we'll pay you, you know, X dollars to create five designs and then you pass them off and you're done, then you technically own them assuming there was no contract. Exactly. And yes. And so you have only licensed that design to the brand. Ah, wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, so at that point, then I do have rights to use them in my portfolio. Again, best practices, wait till they've gone to market because you're going to ruin your own reputation, even though, even though legally maybe you could, who cares about that? Like you got to really do the right thing. Right. Okay. Um, now, if you were selling the designs outright and the ownership was getting passed to the brand, then perhaps in your contract you would want to have a clause that says, you know, I as the freelancer still have the right to use the designs and, you know, show that they were part of the project I did with your brand in my portfolio. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, I yeah, mean, I've so, never seen anybody get in trouble for any of this, but it's just people ask this all the time of like, <laughs> well, can I include it in my portfolio or not? Because it was just a freelance gig. And I'm kind of like, well, why does it matter? Like, as long as it's in the market, like, yeah, you can. I mean, I just tell people, yeah, you can. That, clearly, that I'm not a lawyer and giving real legal advice. but <laughs> Yeah, so uh, as the freelancer default, you own the design. Okay. Unless that brand says you are selling that design to us uh -huh. or we are purchasing the design outright, then you are only licensing that design to the brand. And now, go ahead. at the same time, it could be an exclusive license, which means that you can't use that design for any, you know, with any other party mm -hmm. or even for your own purposes as far as producing any products. But if you own the design, you can use that in your portfolio. Okay, right. You have ownership. You get to do what you want with it. Yes. So I would just be, if there's no contract, definitely be aware of how emails are worded because if something, you know, if there is an issue about it, they can use those emails to say, look, we said in the, these emails, we are purchasing the design from you or, um, you know, we are going to own this design. Uh. Uh, you just have to look for little nuances there. Okay. And like worst case scenario, if it goes to court, which I mean, it happens. I don't know anyone who ever has had this experience, but like, if so, it would get nitpicky to some of the verbiage. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I, it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of people listening are thinking about freelancing and wanting to freelance. And I think that listening to this kind of conversation can feel really effing scary as to like, <laughs> oh my God, wait, no, I have to try to protect myself on like a kajillion things. And what if I'm going to get sued? Um, so, I mean, I think it boils down to like, yeah, protect yourself when and if, and as soon as possible, get yourself a contract, you know, some, when you have the opportunity to afford it. Um, and just go with your because you keep saying go with your gut a lot and like as much as you're legal a uh, uh, you know a lawyer and you want to give like sound true legal advice that holds up to the law like on some level 
you got to kind of just kickstart and go. and Because, I mean, a lot of freelancers can't afford $400, $500 to get that initial contract going. They kind right. of just need to kickstart their career. And, I mean, I went, you know, over a decade without really doing any of this stuff. And, like, yes, it can happen, and ideally you should be protecting yourself. But, you know, kind of coming back to some of the stuff you said. Like, I, I just hate for someone who's thinking about freelancing to listen to this and then to have a sheer panic as to, like, nope, I can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Do not let this legal jargon hold you up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've even heard of Marie Forleo's latest book, but everything is figure out. Everything is figure out. Yes, I did. (laughs) I I haven't read the book, but I love the title. Like, yeah, I I love it. Um, But seriously, if you know, don't let this hold you up at all because it is all figure outable. And it doesn't mean you're not protected if you don't have a contract, if you don't have an LLC, if you, I mean, number one, always have insurance. Number two. Wait, talk about the insurance. So always have insurance, even if it's just general liability. General insurance. liability. Okay. Yeah. And there, you know, you may have, um, always ask for general liability insurance, make sure that you have protection for intellectual property because sometimes it, I mean, it, it varies widely. I'm not going to say like it's always included, you know, it's never included. Just double check, ask your agent, um, your insurance agent, Hey, I need to make sure that intellectual property infringement is included. Obviously you don't plan on infringing, which hopefully you don't plan on it, <laughs> but you never know what's going to happen. You never know. And Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, it's, even though Heidi, you've never, you didn't have a contract for 10 years. It's never an issue until it is. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're like, Oh, I never had to worry about this or this. And then now it's this humongous issue. Yeah. So it's not an issue until it's an issue. You will be proud that I did get general liability insurance about halfway through my freelance career. Oh, there you go. And honestly, it's not that expensive. It's not that expensive. No, not at all. Yeah, Yeah. it's not that expensive, especially when you, like, average it out over the year. It's really affordable. Yeah, yeah, it's not very much at all. And it's something that's there for what if. Even – so even if if you're an LLC or not, get insurance because you want to be protected for those business instances. Um, I mean, you want to have the LLC in place, but for whatever reason, if you want to go against my advice, (laughs) (laughs) get some business insurance. Um, and you want that either way, even if you have an LLC or you don't, you want the business insurance and some, you know, some brands will, they may require you. I don't know if Heidi, you had this, um, happen to you, but did brands ever require you to have insurance? No. Okay. So I I don't think it happens a lot in the design sphere, but I know I work with, um, well, I mean, just kind of like with real estate, if you have a brick and mortar, your landlord is going to require you to have commercial insurance, Mm -hmm. commercial real estate insurance. Um, brands may or may not require you to have insurance. Um, but it's always a good idea. And, don't freak out if there's, you know, if you've been going along all this time and you don't have a contract, maybe you're freaking out or you're not going to start because you don't have this contract and you can't afford to go get this contract. Well, don't worry. There's still protection. You're just defaulted to the state law provisions. And those may not provide you, the freelancer, the best protection. So that's why you want to have the contract is to make sure that you have the protection. And just a practical advice, if a brand sends you a contract, make whatever changes you want. All they can do is say no. Okay. Um, Yeah. All they can do is say no. And I work with, like I referenced one earlier where my client you know, we made changes and the brand was like, we didn't even know that other provision was in there. So they didn't even know what their own contract was. <laughs> yeah. And I, I ripped it to shreds. I was like, nope, nope, nope. We're not doing this. We're not doing it. Cause they basically wanted to just like exclusively own my client, but not be an employee. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, it's the permalancer thing. Yeah. Yep. 40 hours a week on site. No benefits, no insurance. (laughs) Yeah, and okay, so I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but if somebody wants to tell you to do that, then you need to tell them they need to be providing you benefits and they need to make you an employee. Yeah. If not, 
they can be penalized big time. Yeah. yeah. I think New York is really starting to crack down on this because it's a huge issue, not only in um, fashion, but in we have a, I have a good friend who does video editing, I think in like TV and film production. It's also a big thing. We're like, oh, we have three months of work for you. It's X hours. You have to show up here and here. But and so, and it's a freelance project, but you're just paid hourly and you don't get anything. No benefits, no nothing. <laughs> so abusive. Oh, it kills me. Um, okay. And yeah, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did we miss anything else in terms of being a freelancer? I mean, I guess, you know, kind of to sum up, it's like get some general liability insurance, ideally, um, set up as an LLC to protect a business instead of like having all the liability on yourself. Um, and maybe even if you are like drafting your own rough contract, you could probably do some Googling, but like include things like the ownership rights and the payment terms, um, and just some of the general things we talked about. And, and if you even just get that in email and writing, like you're probably already doing like 90% better than most of the other freelancers out there. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So don't feel too intimidated guys. (laughs) Yeah. One quick thing, um, just another kind of um, practical tip. I don't know if the you know it, even if there's not a contract or if you are drafting a contract, make sure that your payment is not stipulated on them being you know happy with your work or oh yeah. So you provide the work, whether they're happy or not, you're getting paid. Now, obviously, you want your work to be represent you know. You want to them to be happy. Sure. Yeah, you want them to be happy. But if it's, you know, you've been working on this, you know, particular design set or whatever for months and they're just like, listen, this is not working out. We're, you know, we we're don't in, like it. <laughs> yeah, we don't like anything that you're producing. They're going to maybe terminate the contract or they're just going to end the term, whatever it is. Make sure you're still getting paid. Make sure that the contract is not dependent on them being happy with your work. Wow. Okay, I never thought about that, but I've heard stories of like, well, they just decided they didn't like it, so they felt like they didn't have to pay. Yeah. So, yeah, whether they're happy or not, obviously you're going to provide your best work, but you don't want to get the short end of the stick there. Yeah. Okay. That'd be a crap deal to really get stuck in that position. And, I, and I, I've heard of people that definitely have. Yeah. Okay. Great, great piece of advice there. Um, anything else that we missed or did we kind of cover all the big pieces? I think that's it. All right, okay. we got we covered some good stuff. Yeah, we did. That was super super fun. Um, tell us a little bit about how people can connect with you and access your services, Andrea. Yeah, so uh, you can find me online, uh, Instagram at Andrea Sager Law, Facebook also Andrea Sager Law. My website is andreasager.com, and I have the Legalpreneur membership, which provides unlimited emails, 60 minutes and phone calls every month, 30 pages of document review every month, which is, you know, those contracts, mm-hmm. and then 15% off of any additional services. And that is 127 a month or 13.97 for the year. You get one month free. And there's some other stuff in there if you sign up for the whole year. And yeah, <laughs> so that membership is, has been really beneficial for small businesses and freelancers. Yeah, it's a great deal because basically I've got like, oh, I can just ping you with a question here and there and like get mm-hmm. some contracts reviewed. Like like you said, the startup or the established brand sends me an NDA or a contract. I'm like, should I sign this or not? Like what changes need to be made? And, and you'll review that. I mean, assuming the, the length is right as part of the membership. Right, exactly. I love that. I love that. Um, awesome. And I think we have a code for so successful fashion designer podcast listeners. Yes. So Heidi. Awesome. And that's S E W H E I D I. Awesome. Well, we will link to all of that and your resources in the show notes. And I'm going to ask you the question again that we ask at the end of the podcast. I know you were already on the show. Feel free to use the same answer or a different answer. Um, but what is one thing people never ask you about working with fashion entrepreneurs and sort of in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Um, 
how much drama is involved? Oh boy. <laughs> because they always, they, people know it's fun. They know it's fun. They know I get, you know, juicy stuff, but there's just some days where I'm like, listen, you all are just full of a bunch of drama today. I just need to take a back seat. I don't want to hear from anybody because <laughs> it, it, sometimes it's just petty drama. Yeah, it can be. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay, well, we won't dig into the drama. Um, thank you, thank you so much. This was tremendously helpful and insightful. Um, I hope not only for the listeners, but for me as well. I learned a ton. Uh, you got some great tricks up your sleeve for how freelancers can protect themselves. I love it. Thank you so much for being with us, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Also, a couple quick shout-outs to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing behind the scenes. He makes sure that the audio sounds really good, which I do hear from you guys on, and I know what it's like to listen to a podcast episode with poor audio, so I am glad you appreciate that, and big thanks to him because it would not sound this good if I was trying to DIY all of this. Another big thank you to Tara, my right-hand lady behind the scenes who does a ton of stuff with the podcast as well that you guys don't really see, but she helps make sure that the show happens and gets to you on time. So thank you so much, Tara. And again, thank you for you. Thank you to you for listening. We would not be here without you. So I really, really appreciate you so much. Um, And as a quick reminder, SFD is way more than a podcast. I have tons of free content for getting ahead in the fashion industry. You can access all of that at soheidi.com slash email, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. Uh, Drop your information in there and I will send you the best of my best stuff absolutely free. If Instagram is more your flavor, I do hang out there. It's also at SoHeidi, S-E-W, H-E-I-D-I. And one last friendly request. If you do enjoy the podcast, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is always appreciated. It does go a very far way in helping new listeners find the show. And I always appreciate hearing from you guys and hearing what you enjoy about the podcast. So if you want to take 30 seconds and leave a review on iTunes. Thank you, thank you so much for that in advance. As always, to access any of the resources that we mentioned in this episode, scroll down to check out the show notes. Thank you so much again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.